How many of you love the Word? You love the Word. All right. Good. Good stuff. Because we need to cling to this Word more than anything else. And uh, we're not supposed to be those ones who are, you know, swayed around and, and uh, kind of pushed around by the news reports and every other kind of storm that's taking place during our times. We're supposed to be the ones who are secure and steady. Amen? Building our lives upon scriptures and because we've got our eyes on the King of Kings. Amen. Well, this evening I, I want to share an encouragement uh, with you all, I felt prompted to uh, point our attention to something that I think is relevant to the season that we are in here at, at KT. And uh, so please come with me, if you will, all the way to the back of your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation to the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. And it says, I, referring to Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. There is something about the heart and the, the spirit of David in the Bible that I feel God wants to raise up today in his end time church. Why would Jesus at the end of Revelation bring us to focus on the fact that he is the offspring of David? During my days, uh, I've been a Christian. I've heard many people and many prophecies saying that, uh, that God is going to raise up a Joshua generation and, uh, and Elijah generation and every other kind of generation. But I feel like the last day's generation are going to look a lot like a David generation. That God will raise up a David-type people in his church. And so there is a uniqueness about David in Scripture. Interestingly, as a side note, there are, many, uh, there are more scriptural references and statements that God makes about David than any other person in the Bible other than Jesus. For example, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts alone says that David is called a prophet on the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. Another one says he served the purposes of God for his generation. Uh, another scripture says in Acts uh, 13 verse 22, check out this one, he did all the will of God, which is amazing because we know David was flawed and made some huge mistakes. But then it says after that, it says in Acts, also it says, he was a man who found favor with God. Tell someone near you, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> and so there is a uniqueness about David. And I feel like the rising move that's coming is not going to look like any generation that we've had before. The company of David is rising. David was said to be a, a ruddy boy with bright eyes. He was so different and weird that not even his own family would let him stay in the house. 
See, what God wants to do may not always fit in the normal way we do things in the church house. God wants to do something different and unique among us. Amen? Sometimes the thing that that God wants to do is going to look different and it's going to sound different to what's gone before. Before David, there was Saul. And Saul's house represents the old church, if you like, the old mindset, the thing that used to be. But the good news is, is that the Davids are not going to do it like Saul did it. There's a new breed of people with a different spirit that God raises up. When everyone's eyes were upon David's brothers, who were doing all of the fighting in the, uh, for, for Israel, when everyone's eyes were on King Saul, God's eyes were upon David. Even whilst he was in the backfields of Bethlehem, looking after sheep, God's eyes were upon him because God's eyes are always looking upon the next generation that's coming through. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel. He doesn't look at the things man looks at. And this is the famous one we always remember. Man looks at the outward appearance or the performance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God looks down, and I'm paraphrasing here, and he says, you know, Saul looks big in his own eyes. But David's heart is after me. And so, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to move Saul out of the way, and I'm going to put David in because he's got the right spirit. And he worships me. Saul wanted greatness before the people. In fact, Saul would cheat just to get the people on his side. But David wanted to please God more than to make the people happy. And so the favor of God was on David. And note, of course, when the favor is on you, it's going to make Saul very angry and jealous. And Scripture says when the anointing came upon David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him with power. And he was changed immediately. It was a setting apart for, for the Lord's work. And friends, this is the anointing that I feel that we need to depend on today. The people that God wants to raise up like David, we can't just rely on programs and traditions and human methods. We have to rely on something more than that, and it is the anointing, the raw power of God. And this is even important for us as a Pentecostal church, you know, that, and the Pentecostal movement, because Pentecostalism must not drift away from its original power. And start substituting, you know, the raw power of God and the power of the Spirit for programs and administration. Because we're Pentecostals because we believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? David was killing lions and bears and then he killed Goliath. He was demonstrating a simple faith in God that was slaying giants. And how many giant slaves have we got tonight? Put your hand up, wave them up. All right. And so, but David had a heart that was after God's heart. He wanted to see the honor and the reputation of God lifted high throughout Israel and the world. And David's heart was this, before I take my throne, I'm going to enthrone God. And so what does he do? He sets sets up the tabernacle. He was... So anointed of the Holy Spirit when he became king that they were likely following him around, writing down his songs. And, of course, that's how the Psalms came about. And so there was a revival of praise and worship. 
The Psalms became the national hymnal or praise book of the nation and and has been the prayer and the worship book of the church for over 2,000 years. And friends, this is significant because there has never been a revival without divinic worship. Worship is key. When you make room for people to worship God, God moves in. And this David-type generation, I feel like, are going to get Jesus back on the throne in the church. God wants to raise a people who do not seek the glory, a people who do not seek the platform and the name and the popularity. We've got enough of that. But they seek the glory of the one Christ Jesus because they are jealous for his name. That's who God is after. David was... Not concerned about what people thought. He wasn't chasing after man's approval. After all, he danced and dignified before the Lord, even though some despised him. And see, Jesus is coming back, I believe, for a glorious end time praise and worship church. Not a performance, but a church that praises him. You agree with me? As one person once said, you know, If you don't want to worship here whilst you're on the earth, then you might as well cancel your reservation to heaven because we'll be doing a lot more there than we are here. Life here on earth is just a dressing room getting ready for eternity compared to what we will be doing in heaven. And so the tabernacle of David was a revolution in worship. It was huge in the Bible. And it was all about this. It was about the sacrifice of praise. Moses' tabernacle involved the sacrifice of animals, but but the tabernacle of David was all about the sacrifice of praise. Tonight I want to tell you this, KT. God is building a temple of praise. He wants to make you a temple of praise. And amongst all the other things that Jesus is doing, His church will be a temple of praise. And throughout church history, I love this because praise has been instrumental in many moves of God. And whenever there's been a revival or fresh move of the Spirit, it has launched a new sound, a new expression unto the Lord. Right from Bible times all the way to today, there have been new worship movements that have sprung forth and been birthed and refreshing to the church when you consider, if we dive into a little bit of history today, but when you consider the birth of the Methodist movement in the 18th century. John Wesley was preaching the gospel from city to city. He was a man on a mission. But his brother, Charles Wesley, wrote over 5,000 hymns. How many know that's a lot of hymns? And he wrote those mostly on horseback as he was going on mission with his brother. That's, I worked that out. It's about one hymn a day for 13 years. <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit to do that. And these songs have been sung the world over. God released fresh melodies, fresh songs of revelation about the cross, about the gospel. See, when God moves and he wants to speak, he raises up people to put it into song. And it's a beautiful picture, I think, of how worship and mission, they, they're like merged together. They go hand in hand as the Spirit is moving. Charles Wesley, after only three days of, of being saved, he wrote that amazing hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. 
my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. The Welsh revival that swept through Wales and when around 100,000 people came to Jesus in six months, in 1904, that revival wasn't characterized by great polished sermons, but praise was central. They sang that hymn, Here is Love. Remember that one? Here is love vast as the ocean, love and kindness as the flood, as the power of God was moving. I remember a number of years back uh, where I had the opportunity to go to Moriah Chapel and to listen to an original version of Evan Roberts' brother singing that in Welsh, and I was overcome. Just an incredible experience to hear that. You could feel the depth of what they were saying and singing. We could talk about written accounts in the Hebrides revival in the mid-1900s where there were moments where people were caught up in praise for hours. A sound that was hard to describe of spirit-inspired praise. Voices blended together like a heavenly choir whilst the Holy Spirit moved. You see, what this shows us is that praise is a frontline ministry that awakens people's hearts to God in every generation. And these are times where God rebuilds the temple of praise. And I believe that the sacrifice of praise is a key to bringing breakthrough across the British Isles again. It's time that the British church redug the wells of praise. Because it's in the soil. It's in our heritage, just as we've just been speaking about there in the, with the Methodist movement. It's part of our heritage. But let me just speak about that for a moment. Because some people today that are led to believe that the, the contemporary praise and worship movement that we have today and that we enjoy, and of course, everything that we're able to do today is because of just progress and people pushing the boat out as far as praise and worship is concerned. But many people believe that, that this praise and worship movement started in the 60s with the Jesus movement. Anybody here during the Jesus movement? I don't know why I'm putting my hand up. I wasn't there then. But, but there is evidence to show that... Um, it's much earlier than that, that the roots go back further to the late 1940s, post-Second World War, and when God restored the sacrifice of praise to the church. And again, I hope you don't mind us going to history. Do you like a bit of history tonight? All right. There was a man named Reg Lazell. Uh, he was a Canadian Pentecostal uh, minister who was formerly a businessman for most of his life. He came into the call of God later, and uh, he had become desperate because God had seemed absent from their services. And he was invited to, to go and speak at a congregation in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And he was struggling because he had nothing to preach about. How many have been there before? And he was fasting and praying and didn't have a word. But then as he's sitting in this meeting, not knowing what he was going to say, all of a sudden, the Lord drops this verse into his spirit. Psalm 22, verse 3. But God, thou art holy, who inhabits the praises of his people. He gave room for the people to praise God. And suddenly, as the praises rose, God moved in. God moved into that community. All of a sudden, there was an awareness of God that gripped People. And it's recorded on January 1946 
the Lord restored the sacrifice of praise. Martin Luther had restored the truth of justification by faith alone in the 16th century. John Wesley, as we've just spoken of just now, had restored the truth of sanctification during the 18th century. But the first Pentecostals of the beginning of the 20th century restored the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord, through this man, Reg Lazel, had restored the sacrifice of praise. Restoring this theology, the idea of praise as the means to experience God's presence. And the key scripture that was the catalyst to this new movement was Psalm 22, verse 3. In other words, God says, as you praise me, I will be present with you. The second verse that backs this up, which was birthed during this movement, was Hebrews 13, 15. I love this one. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so praise was the pattern that God gave to keep the latter rain revival burning. God's divine recipe, praise and blessing God with one mind in one place. And so what we see here is that there is a connection between presence, between praise and presence. And all this was, was happening during the late 40s alongside the latter rain movement when the gifts of the Spirit were being restored to the church. My point is this, in every generation, God is looking for a place to land his feet. To come and live, he wants a home. But we must understand that praise is a key to presence. And I believe with all my heart that KT is called to be a temple of praise. I'm not the only one. Many that believe that KT is called to be a, a temple of praise. A people of praise of all nations. We are called to be on the front line of defense. That declares the praises of God unashamedly with boldness, and with confidence. God wants to move in and inhabit this place. A people from every nation that will see it. There's a connection between praise and presence. It, you know, it's a key to heaven breaking loose upon our souls. And you know, and just heaven coming down to greet us. Maybe God wants to remind us tonight about the link between praise and presence. Maybe it's an art that's been lost in your life. Praise as the means to experiencing his presence. I wonder what your day starts out like. I wonder if you're one of those sometimes who starts the day, you know, moaning and complaining rather than praising and thanksgiving. God is restoring a people of praise. When we praise, walls come down. When we praise, chains are loosed. When we praise, devils start fleeing. Amen. How do we know that? Acts 16, you don't have to go there. But Paul and Silas are all beaten up in jail for sharing their faith in Jesus. We know the story well. And I can just imagine Silas saying to Paul, you know, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now, Paul? And I can just think... Paul probably responded saying something like this, you know, 
If I'm not going to get any sleep tonight, the devil sure isn't going to get any sleep tonight either. And so all of a sudden at midnight, Paul starts, says, let's praise God. And as they start singing, God looks down and he says, I like that. I like that. In fact, I'm going to go down and I'm going to join them. I'm going to sing bass. And the Bible says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. See, friends, you cannot hold back your praise. You cannot hold back your praise. Praise encourages the miraculous. We have such a rich heritage in this place of the miraculous. Bodies healed. People walking out of this place without need of their wheelchairs and their walking sticks. But see, there's a connection between praise and the miracle. God manifests his living presence and the miraculous in a praise-saturated place. We've got more to praise God about than we've got to complain about. Amen. I feel like sometimes it's, an, it's about time we stop complaining about what we don't have and start praising God for what we do have. The Bible says, put on your garments of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. You may feel like you're beaten up like Paul. You may want to quit. Life might hurt like hell, but offer your sacrifice of praise still. You may not feel like it. It may cost you something, but offer a sacrifice of praise to him. Now stay with me here because I want to move this on a little bit further. We're talking about the tabernacle of David. And I love in the, in the book of Acts, in chapter 15, it talks about the tabernacle of David being restored from the ancient ruins. And in Acts 15, verse 16, it shows us that the church is the, like the restored tabernacle of David, the place where Jesus is praised, where the church speaks prophetically and exercises this kingly authority just like the Psalms. And the end result of the church flowing in Davidic praise and prophesying is a great harvest of souls. Love this. Jonathan or Jordan, if you would come and play, that would be wonderful. I've sometimes likened the, the journey of praise and, and worship like a journey going up a mountain to, to meet with God, followed by a journey down to face the world. And on this journey, you know, there are many steps. Anyone been up a mountain before? You'll know what I'm talking about. And so first of all, of course, there's meeting together like we do tonight. And then that's a decision deciding to praise God. How many know it's not about your feelings and emotions? It's about obedience and praising God. And, and so there's this journey that we go on, praising God's attributes, adoration and, and, and confession, uh, uh, recognizing who God is. And so there is this sense of direction and, and purpose. Our direction is towards God, but our purpose is to, to encounter Him. Worship is about a journey of encountering Him like we are tonight. But then there's that journey down to face the world. And it's called mission. We go up the mountain to meet with God, but we come down to face the world. You remember the story of the, the transfiguration? Remember that story? When Jesus is, is transfigured 
and uh, the entire mountain shone with the radiance of heaven. There was the glory of God was everywhere. And Moses was there. Elijah was there. Peter, James, and John are up there. And eventually when Peter found his voice, he said, Master, it's good that we are here. Let's build. Let's stay up here. Why? Because for them, glory and putting up tents were just so interrelated. They were connected. This was their Old Testament understanding of the tabernacle of of Moses. If the glory shows up, then you put up a tent. But then Jesus pointed them back down the mountain where they were immediately confronted with a little boy who was afflicted with demon possession. See, we might sometimes prefer the mountaintop experience. Going from one anointed service to another, another conference just to get that spiritual fix and that spiritual high. Yet Jesus calls us down the mountain into ministries of deliverance and mission. John 4 One of those verses I've grown to love so much over the years is the popular chapter that we always refer to when we consider praise and worship. And uh, it's when Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at this well. Jesus is on a journey and he's tired, he's thirsty. And they're meeting at Jacob's well, which is significant from the Old Testament. And it's amazing because you've got it all there. It's packed with encounter and, and revelation and words of knowledge and mission. Just a normal day in the life of Jesus. But we soon discovered that this woman, this Samaritan woman, had confined praise and worship to a certain place, to a certain time, and a certain people. And here Jesus is very gently redefining what worship is. To this woman, he he explains what worship is not, and then he goes on to say about what, what what true worship is. And I feel like sometimes we've kind of boxed in what we think praise and worship is. I think it was John Wimber who once said, "You know, tell me what you spend most of your energy, your time, and your 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 money on, and I'll tell you what you worship." But I love this story because it's all happening around the context of praise and worship. But watch the interaction that Jesus has with this woman. He didn't preach to the woman. He didn't even use biblical texts or make a great presentation of the gospel or bring these kind of prepared questions. No, the gifts of the Spirit are on full display. And how we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, that you would revive the gifts of the Spirit in this place. The gift of healing, the working of miracles, the gift of faith, the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy. Here at City Nights, one of our focus areas has been the prophetic and how we need the prophetic. Amen. We need a prophetic generation. But in Revelation, it tells us that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's that which reveals Jesus. We often think of the prophetic about revealing the future, but it's got more to do with revealing Jesus than anything else. And the effect of that gift is that people come to know Jesus more. It's about revealing Him. People are brought more into His presence. 
People see something about Jesus that they've never seen before. The mood changes in the room. In our context, it might be sometimes through a song or a melody or a musical piece. Sometimes we say, come Lord Jesus, come, but he comes in an unexpected way. And that's what's happening here with this woman meeting with Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit are working, but then the woman starts to realize who she's talking to. She stands back in awe and amazement of who Jesus is. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are not there to parade themselves and try and impress people. They're there to reveal Jesus. And so here she encounters him. She's caught up in awe. She's caught up in amazement, fascination of who Jesus is. And she's so overwhelmed after this encounter that she goes back to her hometown and tells everyone what's just happened to her. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, John 4. John 4, 39. This is what happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And then check this out. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And that's just one person's testimony. Imagine what God could do with a whole room full of people encountering Jesus and the impact that could make across London. Worship is like the fuel to mission. True worshipers that the Father seeks ought to be the best missionaries because we go on encountering Jesus. John 4 starts with this encounter with Jesus It ends with a whole town hearing about him. This Samaritan woman was now equipped to become the best missionary to her town. Why? Because she's encountered him. She's now become a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever considered this, that God sent his one and only son and he made him a missionary. The church is a missionary church. He is sent by Jesus. The church is on a mission to save souls. And we are called, if you like, to be charismational. So we, the gifts of the Spirit are there, but also we have mission and they operate together. But here then we see now what the writer of Acts chapter 15 was talking about. The restoration of the tabernacle of David. The restoration of the tabernacle of David is about the church engaged engaged. One, in praise. Two, in the prophetic. Making room for the gifts of the Spirit to to operate. And number three, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And the end result, reaching a harvest of souls. KT, you are a temple of praise. KT, you are a temple of the prophetic. You are a temple of mission. And may the fire for mission and evangelism Never go out from this place. Just as we land, one of my greatest privileges that 
I had just before the whole lockdown of COVID started was to have the opportunity to share, uh, spend some time with my grandfather before, before he passed. I remember receiving the phone calls from the, the family saying that he doesn't have long left. And I remember pacing around my house praying because I felt such a burden from the Lord to reach him. And uh, for many years, there was no openness to the gospel. It was hard ground. How many know what I'm talking about? It was hard ground. He had experienced hardship from the Second World War. That many in that generation did. And, and it seemed like he would never respond to Jesus. And mindful of all this, I, I traveled to, to Wales. And uh, my mom cleverly managed to, to find some space for me to get some time. Um, for me to spend some time alone with him. And there he was on his bed. He was weak, but he was able to respond. And the short story is this. I, I, I said to him, Bamps, that's what we call him, Bamps. I've come because I'd like to share some scriptures with you. I've come because I want to come. I want to pray, pray with you. And he agreed. And I started with John 3.16. I mean, that's the go-to verse, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I shared some other verses with him. And I said, Bamps, you know, what's important now is that you make peace with God. Bamps, do you want to make peace with God? Well, I'm going to help lead you in a prayer. And afterwards, you can tell me if you prayed that prayer and he agreed. And it went something like this. I, I prayed something like, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me and receive me now. I give my heart to you. Amen. And that was it. I said, Babs, did you pray that prayer? He said, I, which is Welsh for yes. And I felt something shift in the atmosphere. It was crazy because of few days later, he was talking about having these dreams and talking about seeing Salvation Army brass bands and trumpets. <laughs> but something shifted. And I share that story because many of you got friends and family and loved ones who are not saved yet. But you can be a temple of mission. Some of you have doubted whether God could even use you to win your friends and family. You are a temple of mission. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You can do anything through the power of Jesus' name. 